Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Imagine, if you will, being on a journey a long way from your home. You've traveled for many days, perhaps even weeks, in order to reach your destination. You're looking forward to a very special event, one that is very important to you. Your family is with you and you're laughing together, taking in the sights of a large, dynamic city filled with many other visitors who share your excitement. Suddenly, there's a commotion up ahead of you. A large crowd, some of it angry, some of it frightened, but all of it upset, is surging your way. The streets are quite narrow and there is nowhere for you to get out of the way. You press up against the stone wall, hiding your children behind you. You hope that the throng will pass you by and that you and your loved ones will not be separated by the surging throng of humanity or, worse yet, trampled. The next thing you know, a gruff Roman soldier, his face hard set and his eyes harder still, is staring right at you and pointing his spear in a threatening manner. You there, he bellows. Come over here. Carry this. For a moment you freeze, hoping that your hesitation will cause this soldier to turn his attention anywhere to someone else, someone who is more involved, someone who is more interested. But it doesn't. He lowers his spear still further, clearly intent on making sure that you understand. Don't make me tell you again, he growls. Shaking with fear, you give your boy's hands a quick squeeze and wordlessly give them a look and a nod that tells them it will be all right. You hope and you pray that they will be safe in this strange city where you just have arrived and that they will be able to find their way back to the marketplace where your wife has stopped to shop for supplies for tonight's very special Sabbath meal. And then you step into the street where the crowd has parted to avoid this soldier's threatening manner. Your eyes and your brain are not prepared for what you see next. A young man, sweaty and exhausted, is collapsed in the grimy street, a large wooden beam pressing down on his trembling frame. But that's not the worst of it. His back, or rather where his back should be, is a mass of raw, torn flesh. Blood oozes from every bit of its surface, and in a few places it even pulses from arteries ripped open by a brutal beating. You've seen this sort of cruelty before, back in your hometown of Cyrene on the southern shore of the Great Sea. The Romans have turned the flogging of prisoners into a gruesome sort of art, some seeming to relish it as they make such abuse as a tool to keep their conquered territories in line. As you struggle to gain a handhold on this beam and lift its heavy bulk off the man, you are surprised that someone in his condition could even have carried it at all, much less this far from the Roman headquarters where you are sure this punishment must have been inflicted. And then the man slowly raises his head, and for the first time, your eyes are drawn away from the ghastly spectacle of his back. He is wearing a ring of woven vines covered with thorns pressed down around the top of his head. 
From dozens of jagged wounds in his scalp, more blood flows down. Small rivers of wet reds and dried browns that tell you that he's endured this suffering for hours. Your hatred of the Romans, those arrogant pagans, grows deeper by the second. Through your rage, though, you notice that this man is looking into your eyes. He is, he is expressing something that is so unexpected that for a moment you can't even recognize it. It's a strange combination of expressions coming from a total stranger. And yet in that instant, you understand. It's confidence. It's determination. It's gratitude to you for your kindness, even if that kindness came out of compulsion at the tip of a spear. But most of all, it's love. It's the deepest sort of love beyond anything you could possibly have imagined. It's right there. How could such a man be an enemy of Rome, you wonder? For that matter, how could such a man be an enemy of anyone? For a few fleeting seconds, under all the blood and the sweat and the ravaged flesh, you have seen purity and perfection. You struggle to your feet, trying to balance the heavy load in a way that will allow you to walk without falling down yourself. Still, without even a conscious thought, your hand reaches down to the man, and he takes it, rising on wobbly legs to continue his journey to what you know will be a horrific end. You are carrying the beam of a Roman cross, and this man will soon have coarse nails driven through his wrists and his ankles, pinning him to the wood like sheepskin messages on a tree. You don't want to see such terrible torture, much less to be a part of it, but you have no choice. You are helping send this young Jew to his death. You, a believer yourself. Why couldn't it be someone else? Anybody else? Everyone else? You're sure that what you are doing is a sin and that your sin will help kill this man. Lord, have mercy on me. On you trudge together. Him the sufferer and you the one tormented for your inability to stop sending him to his death. We do not know what happened to Simon of Cyrene when he and Jesus reached Golgotha, of course. And in fact, I have admittedly done a good deal of pious speculation when it comes to what Simon experienced that day in Jerusalem. And yet, if he reacted with basic human inclinations to what happened and what he saw as we might react, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that perhaps he did feel much as the same as I've related to you. The very fact that we know Simon's name, however, is a pretty strong indication that he became known to one or more of the Gospel writers, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Simon's participation in Jesus carrying the cross, or in Simon carrying Jesus' cross that day. We cannot also discount the possibility that the information about Simon and the fact that he was from Cyrene and had two sons, Rufus and Alexander, were given the Gospel writers purely out of divine inspiration. But on the other hand, we would be well served to consider the likelihood that Simon somehow formed a connection with the small communities of believers in Jesus in the hours and days and weeks and months and perhaps even years after the crucifixion and that he might have become part of the fledgling Christian church. We know for certain that there are people named Rufus and Alexander mentioned in the apostles' writings, people with the same names as Simon's sons. 
there really would have been no reason for the Holy Spirit to reveal these names to the Gospel writers unless they serve to give their accounts increased credibility with the readers and hearers, people who might have known Simon and his sons. Regardless of the specifics, however, we do know from the biblical record that Simon was one of those people who were at or near the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, as the placard which Pontius Pilate caused to be affixed to the cross reads. Simon, like Pilate, did help send an innocent man to his death. Wait, you say. Simon didn't help Jesus be crucified on purpose. He had no power to stop it like Pilate did. He was forced to do it. Well, that's both right and wrong at the same time. While he was physically present and he carried the cross under duress, Simon was neither any more innocent nor any less guilty than Pontius Pilate for the reason that Jesus had to die. If you really want someone to blame and to have an impact, blame those religious types who were sinning against Jesus all the time. It's all their fault. Go ahead, tell them what horrible, evil, messed up sinners they are. They're in the pews all around you. One is in the spot where you're sitting too. One is even standing in the pulpit. Lord, have mercy. We study the people around the crucifixion because it helps us understand that they are people just like us. People with hopes and with dreams, with talents and with flaws, with fears and with achievements. Some cared deeply for Jesus. Some really didn't even know who He was at the time. Some were pleased by the fact that He did not seem to be who He said He was. That He didn't seem able to bring Himself down off that cross to prove His Messiahship to prove His Sonship to the Heavenly Father. But no matter what their attitude was toward Jesus, His attitude toward them was the same. These are My Father's beloved creatures, made in Our image, worthy in Our sight of even My horrible suffering and My innocent death. Simon will carry the physical weight of My cross, but I will bear its spiritual burden. I will carry the burden of all their guilt, and I will quench the righteous fire of my Father's wrath against sin with the priceless treasure of my blood. So step away from that wall. Overcome your fears. Pick up the cross of Jesus. In embracing who you are as one who has also caused the death by your sin, you also embrace and you also gain a companion on your journey through your own suffering and your own death in this world. You are bound to Him by the blood and the water which flowed from His body on the cross at the time of His death. By these you are both perfectly cleansed and indelibly marked. By these you are given both death to sin and life in Christ's righteousness. By these, heaven is your final resting place and not a tomb. Thousand, thousand thanks are due, dearest Jesus, unto You. In His holy name. Amen.